0: Amen. I as you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up, turn it on to Luke chapter 9. Now, I need to begin with a confession today. I have to confess to you that I am a directionally challenged male. I uh, have a hard time with a sense of direction. And so, one of the greatest inventions in my life was whenever they came out with the GPS. I cannot tell you the sense of freedom. That it brought to me whenever I travel because I used to really get nervous when I would go into a unfamiliar city and I'd be worried about getting lost and getting turned around and because of the GPS it really gave me a freedom to go and so like many of you whenever the bank six goes on a road trip I will always plug in the destination into my phone and I will use that to help me navigate now whenever you are on the journey you really only have a small amount of information. You have the amount of information that'll fit on four or five inches. I guess some of you have those phones that are now like iPads to your ear, you know. But, uh, you know, you really don't have that much screen space. And so you have a little arrow that says, this is who I am. And then you have a direction. You're going north, south, east, west. You have you have the line that tells you a little bit about what the traffic's going to be right around you. And you may have a couple streets and the next turn. You don't see where you started from. You don't see where you're going. In most cases, you don't know uh, how far exactly the trip is going to be or what all the traffic's going to be along the way or what all the turns are going to be. Whenever you are on that journey, you just have the little bit of information that's on the screen right in front of you. Now, what you have to do is you have to zoom out. You have to go to the overview view, and then when you have that screen, you can see it all. You can see, hey, I'm traveling down I-35, and guess what? There's going to be a lot of traffic on I-35. I know, none of us have ever experienced that. Uh, I'm going to have 10 major turns on this trip, and you can see when you go to that overview, that zoom out screen, that there's a beginning point, there's a destination point, point. And this is how many miles there's going to be between the beginning and the end. It seems to me that often when it comes to our spiritual questions that we have, those questions about life that we ask God about, that we talk to others about, a lot of times we find ourselves frustrated because we're on the journey. We're in the middle of this journey that we call life, And on the journey, we have limited information. We don't know all the answers. We don't have the overview screen. And so we're not entirely sure when we're going to reach the destination. We don't know exactly what all the turns are going to be along the way. We don't know exactly what the traffic is going to be. Is it going to be easy? Is it going to be difficult? What is the road like? Up ahead. Now imagine how you would live differently if you could zoom out and just see everything that's going to happen in your life and see exactly how long the destination is going to be. How many of you think you would like that if you could just zoom out and just see everything? Okay, how many of you think I, I really wouldn't like it? How many of you that initially liked it now say, well, on further review, maybe I wouldn't like it after all. It it may surprise you a little bit, but the Bible does reveal to us a zoomed out view of history. The Bible reveals to us that there is a starting point to history. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it is not an accident. God didn't just start it all and then leave us in such a way where we have a deistic understanding of God, but there is a purpose behind what has been created, and there is a God within what has been created that relates to us and is personal to us, and there is a divine destination to our lives. The universe has a purpose, and there is a meaning behind it all. Now, there are some things that the Bible does not reveal. The Bible did not reveal to me that I am supposed to have a taquito from Waterburger for breakfast today. That's what I ate for breakfast. The Bible didn't say in Hezekiah chapter four and verse three, uh, Lash Banks would have a taquito on this day of 2017. The Bible never told me that I was going to be pastor of Murphy Road Baptist Church. That I would have four kids. The Bible doesn't tell us. How long the sermon will be today. That's one of those things that you just have to discover on the journey. Certain things in life just have to be discovered as we live the days. But now hear me on this. The Christian walks in faith. Understanding that many of the events of the journey are unknown. But the purpose and the destination of our journey are clearly known. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus has been decimating the idea of a trophy Messiah and revealing to his disciples the idea of the suffering servant, that the Messiah would die on the cross for humankind. You see, the disciples, and many of those in Israel at that time, had an idea that of the Messiah that I've, I've termed the trophy Messiah. It was very now-centric. The idea was that God would send His chosen one, the anointed one, and they thought in their minds that the anointed one, that His call would be to overthrow Rome, to deliver them from this physical oppression. They believed that The Messiah would reestablish the throne of David and that the Messiah would reign over all the world. And because of this, the disciples of Jesus felt like they would be the heads of his kingdom. And the Jewish people felt like, because he came from Israel, that the Messiah would put them into a position of prominence. And so this was their idea, a trophy Messiah, if you will. And what's more is it's not entirely wrong. The Old Testament covenant does talk about how uh, eventually uh, the the Lord would come as King of Kings and that the Anointed One would sit on His throne and that we believe that whenever the second coming of Jesus uh, arrives, that Jesus will indeed reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So it was not entirely just pulled out of the air But that idea of the Messiah is the destination point. And when Jesus came the first time, He was coming into the journey. And so His initial coming was not to reestablish the throne of David and reign as King of Kings. But His initial coming was to die on the cross for your sins and mine. And so He reveals this to His disciples in verse 22. Now stick with me today. I understand everybody got up an hour early, but stick with me and let's uh, learn something from the Word of God today. Jesus said in Luke nine twenty-two, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, be killed and raised the third day. So Jesus here is foretelling His death. This is what the Chosen One's going to do. The Chosen One's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. But whenever He is killed, He will rise again the third day. All right, men. You guys have an idea of what you think the Messiah is going to be. And Peter has proclaimed me the Messiah. Now let me tell you what Messiah means. Messiah means... That we're going to go to Jerusalem. And the same people who praise me as I enter the city will reject me. I will be betrayed by one of my own. I will be arrested. People will bring all sorts of false accusations against me. I will be judged wrongly and I will be sentenced to die. Messiah means that men will tie me to a post. That men will take a whip And they will tear my flesh. Messiah means that I will be mocked, that my head will be crowned with thorns, that people will pull my beard from my face, they will look at me and spit on my face. Messiah means that people will seek the freedom of thieves over my own, and they will rabidly yell for my death. You want to know what Messiah means? Messiah means that my executioners, will put a cross upon my back, that I will be paraded through the streets, that they will strip me of my possessions, that they will lay me down upon a cross and drive nails into my hands and feet and then hang me upon a cross for all to see. Messiah means that I will be suspended between heaven and earth, but I will be the mediator between God and man. Messiah means that my death will be an atonement for sin. Messiah means that on the cross, the wrath of God that was intended for sin will be poured out upon me, and God's punishment that has been reserved for those that are His enemies will be absorbed within me, and His wrath will drive me to the grave. Messiah means that the divine rhythm of creation is dependent upon the sinless life and sacrificial death of His Son. Messiah means that true love, peace, meaning, and hope are tied in to what Jesus Christ will do for us on the cross. Men, Messiah means that I will die your death. But death will not contain me. Because on the third day, I will rise so that whoever believes in me will never perish, but spiritually will live forever with Christ. That's what Messiah means. Messiah is not about me passing out trophies and telling you how great you are. Jesus says, Messiah is about me dying for you, so that you can live again in me. And When he finished, the air was silent. In fact, Peter pulled Jesus aside, one of the other Gospels says. "And says, Jesus, you need to quit talking about all this death and dying. That's a little depressing. You need to talk about more positive things. Maybe shorten everything and use a little humor. This is all too depressing, Jesus. And so in verse 23, Jesus presses further. He says, okay, if anyone wants to come with me. Now he's talking to the disciples. These men had left everything that they knew. They had left their home. They had left their careers. They were following Jesus. And he says, if you want to come after me, You must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. So Jesus looks at these 12 men and he says, now I've told you what I'm all about. I've told you what Messiah means, now let me tell you what disciple means. Let me tell you what it means to be a disciple. And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, there's three things here. Number one, you you need to deny yourself. Number two, you need to pick up your cross. And number three, you need to follow me. I think the same thing holds true today. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you want to be a follower of Christ? Jesus says, there's three things here. Number one, if you want to be a disciple of me, you deny yourself. Number two, you pick up your cross daily. Number three, you follow me. Now, what does it mean to deny yourself? Denying yourself doesn't mean that you simply say no to that bag of Hershey miniatures. It doesn't mean that you say, well, it's Easter season. I'll go on a two-week Facebook fast. That's sacrifice. I'll uh, I'll settle for the 55 inch TV whenever I really could have gotten the 65 inch. Denying yourself is much deeper than that. Denying myself means I crucify a life lived for my glory, and God raises a life lived for His glory. You see, a lot of people think they have this image of Christianity that it's about empowering myself that. Following Christ is kind of like taking the spiritual vitamin pill. If I, if I follow Christ, that will allow me to achieve all my dreams. It will make a better me. It will make a healthier me. And so we follow Christ not for uh, 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 the sense of, of his glory, but we follow Christ for the sense of our glory so that people can look at me and see my greatness and understand that I'm successful because I'm a follower of Christ. Jesus says that's not what it's about. It's not about you. It's about God and His glory. Jesus says, following me is about surrendering yourself to the power of God. You lay down your life and and the, the pursuit of your greatness, and instead you rise up pursuing the greatness of Christ in all things. When you surrender to Jesus as Lord, God sees you in Christ. And understand this if you're a follower of Christ, your life is defined by the cross. That's how your life is defined. Now, that's really good news. Because for a lot of us, we we have some things in our past that we think define us. You are not your past, you're also not your career. Now, if you're a career minded person, that can be a difficult pill to swallow, but you are not defined by your career. You're also not an accident. There's a reason why you're here. And you are more than just a dot on the map of human history. In Christ, download this. In Christ, you are a child of God. And he calls you to be a minister of the gospel, a part of the divine plan of God. In no way is your life accidental. And so Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, knowing that your cross is attached to the divine plan of God. Question for you, was the cross of Jesus Christ an accident? No. Neither is the cross that you pick up daily. It is part of the divine plan of God. Now in verse 28, eight days pass. And after these words, the Bible says that he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now I just want to pause here briefly and say that whenever you see The manifestations of God in Scripture, they are often accompanied by God's people coming before Him in prayer. You never see a great movement of God that began with God's people gathering for a time of coffee and discussion and Bible study even. But you see time and time again, and I'm not against coffee, discussion, and Bible study, okay? But time and time again, you see that God's people pray and whenever God's people gather to pray, the power of God is revealed. So Jesus calls these disciples apart. They are praying together. And Jesus is about to activate the zoom out feature. He's about to give Peter, James, and John the overview and show them at who he is. So as he was praying, verse 29, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became dazzling white. What's happening here? Theologians call it the transfiguration. Jesus is revealing to his disciples who he is. Hebrews says the radiance of God's glory is Christ. And he's revealing to his disciples that he is the divine Son of God, He has just revealed to them that He would be the suffering servant who would die for sins, and now He's showing them just who is the suffering servant. It is God Himself. And so He prays, and He is transfigured before them. And in verse 30, the Bible says, suddenly two men were talking with Him, Moses and Elijah, and they appeared in glory and were speaking of His death which was about to be accomplished in Jerusalem. So we see three things here. Number one, we see Jesus in his glory. Number two, he's talking with two Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah. Number three, they're talking about his death. So what God is doing here is he is zooming out and he is showing you the big picture of Scripture. You see, Moses in Scripture represents the law. The first five books of the Old Testament are called the the law of Scripture. In the law of Scripture, we begin to see the heart of God. We begin to see those things that are right, those things that are wrong. In the law of Scripture, that's where you have passages like the Ten Commandments that says, Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. You know what the purpose of the law is? Romans tells us that the purpose of the law is to reveal to us that we can't keep the law. Isn't that ironic? God reveals to us the standards of His holiness to reveal to us our need for grace. And so through the law, we are shown this is what holiness looks like, and there is absolutely No way that I can be obedient enough, that I can be lovely enough to earn the love of God. I need something more than the law. And so the prophets, Elijah, he was known as the greatest of the prophets. He represents the next section of Scripture, the prophecy section. The prophets looked forward to the day where God would intervene into the scene. Where God would do something that only He could do. Where God would rid the world of its injustice and rid the world of its darkness. They looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. And in Moses and Elijah, we see the Old Testament scriptures all lined up together talking with Jesus. And then we see Jesus Himself. Jesus, the fulfillment of it all. You see, everything that Moses wrote, everything that Elijah and the other prophets prophesied, they find fulfillment in Jesus Christ because He is the Son of the Most High God Himself. And Jesus would come down to earth. He would deny Himself. He would follow His Father so that we might follow Him. Do you understand this? Jesus doesn't call you to do anything that He didn't do Himself. He himself denied his heavenly robes. He, He was obedient to the point of death. He picked up his cross, and he followed his heavenly Father. Well, all this is taking place, and in verse 32, the Bible says that Peter and those with him were in deep sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. And the two men were departing from him, as the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Now, I've told you before, Peter is my favorite disciple. I just love this guy, a natural leader, but he was also a guy that liked to talk. And so he sees Jesus in all of his glory. And he sees Moses and Elijah revealed before him. And he doesn't know what to say. But he's got to say something. So Peter basically says, Jesus, would you like us to build you a house? We'll build three. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Y'all can just kind of live up here on the mountaintop. He didn't know what to say, but he had to say something. So while he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. And the Bible says they became afraid as they entered the crowd. Now imagine the scene here. You're up here on top of this mountain. You've just seen Jesus transfigured before you. You've got Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter's over here just Spouting words, and then here comes this massive cloud, and, and it overshadows them. And then a voice came from the cloud, the voice of Almighty God. And what does God say? This is my son, the chosen one. Literally, that word, those words, the chosen one. It's a reference to the Messiah. This is my son, the Messiah. This is my son, the the anointed one, the chosen one, and then God says, Listen to him. And after the voice had spoken, only Jesus was found. And so they kept silent. And in those days, told no one what they had seen. In some ways, God says to Peter, Peter, you're talking foolishness. Would you just quit talking and listen? You know you talk a lot whenever God tells you to be quiet and listen, right? Okay? And the reality is, is that, that we often talk too much. God, why did this happen? I need answers. God, I need you to tell me the reasons why this happened. God. Why did this person that I love die? Oh, why, why did this event not go the way that I wanted it to go? Why did I get fired? Why did I not get hired? Lord, why is there so much suffering in the world? Lord, why are, why are these people facing injustice? And why do I enjoy the luxury that I have when some people hurt? And, and Lord, why, what's going on over here? And I, I need answers. Give me answers. Or we come to God and we say, Lord, give me this. I love it when we in our prayers we use Scripture to try to back God into a corner. You've said in your word that you would give the desires of your heart to your children. Lord, this is what I want, so therefore, give it to me, give it to me, because I want it. God, where are we going? I need to know. I need to know the whys and the wheres and the how longs will it be. And sometimes God just says to us, would you just stop talking? Would you just listen? I'm fearful sometimes in our our uh, evangelical Christian community. We've, uh, We've raised the art of talking to a point. And anytime we face trouble and difficulty, we say, let's just talk about it. Just pour out all of your emotions on God. Just throw out all your rawness there because He can handle it. Yes, God can handle your rawness and emotions and all your questions. But you know, whenever we knock on the doors of heaven and say, why, 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 why? God rarely gives us the answers to our whys, but He always gives us His presence in our cries. And sometimes we, we just need to talk a little less and listen a little bit more. Sometimes we can become in danger of becoming evangelical buttercups Every difficulty that we face, we feel like we need to talk it to death. We feel like we've always just been done wrong. Instead of just picking up our cross and continuing to go forward. Trusting God. I understand it hurts. There's not a person in this room that hasn't gone through pain. Not a person in this room that doesn't come in here with something that could discourage you but sometimes we just need to listen to the voice of God. Sometimes we just need to keep moving forward. Keep your eye on what God has purposed you to be about. And understand this, there is a beginning, and there is an end, and there are unknowns on the journey. There are questions that you have, questions that I have, that we will never receive the answer to in this life but there is a purpose to it all. And so we see that the law of Moses, the prophecy of Elijah, and the death of Jesus Christ, all three line up to reveal to us the purposes and the glory of our God. Jesus has told His disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, and there a lot of injustice is going to be thrown down upon me. I will be crucified, I will be killed, but I will rise again on the third day. And this is no accident, my friends. This is part of the divine plan of God. One of the things that I love about the Word of God is the amazing continuity of it. The deeper you dive into the pages of Scripture, the more you will find that Genesis and Revelation are connected. Through centuries with multiple authors and multiple locations disconnected from one another, there is a theme of salvation that runs through the pages of Scripture that ties the story of God together. And throughout the pages, you will see God's people going through difficulty. You'll see them going through ups and downs. You'll see times when they follow God, times when they rebel against God. But through it all, you see the saving hand of God at work and the sovereign hand of God working through circumstances, and he tells us, listen to me, trust me, and Jesus simplifies it for us into three simple things. You want to follow me? Here's what it's really all about. Deny yourself. Life is not about me. I'm not the star of the show. It's not about people looking at me. It's not about my glory. It's not about my career. It's not about... My accomplishments and all the trophies that I've collected that in reality are made out of plastic. All the people that I want to know who I am, that in reality, three generations after you're gone, people will struggle to even know that you were here. It's not about me. It's about God. And then Jesus says, number two, pick up your cross. Now, Jesus doesn't call you to walk up the hill called Calvary. And to lay down your life on a real cross. Because your death can't satisfy the wrath of God. You can't die for the sins of humankind because you're a sinner just like me. But Jesus says, follow me in your obedience. Jesus' divine mission was the cross. And God has a divine mission for your life and mine as well. And so we place our faith in Christ, and then daily we pick up our cross, and that cross is going to come in many different shapes. Sometimes that cross is going to be the call to motherhood. Sometimes that cross is going to come into the shape of loving your spouse. Sometimes picking up your cross daily is going to cause you to be a student that does your work with integrity rather than being a cheater just like everybody else. Sometimes that cross is going to take you into the boardroom. Sometimes that cross may take you in front of that patient who needs a physician or a nurse that truly cares or a student that needs a teacher that truly sees beyond the outside and sees the student and the person within. That cross takes us into our neighborhoods where we see the people that live around us through the eyes and through the lens of God. That cross takes us beyond ourselves so that we begin to see that there are little girls and little boys and men and women in our communities and around our world that desperately need somebody to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Sometimes that cross takes on the shape of going into the unknown, doing something like my friend Dan is doing, and starting a church within your neighborhood, and getting beyond yourself and beyond your comfort zones. But Jesus says, hey, listen, you don't have to have all the answers. Uh, You're going to have questions. It's going to take you through difficult times. But here's what I'm calling you to do. If you want to be my follower, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily. Every single day, you just get up with one goal in mind. I want to bring glory to my God. I'm going to deny myself today. I'm going to pick up my cross. Wherever he leads me, I will follow. Because I'm a follower of Christ. and My life is not defined by my past. My life is not defined by my career. My life is not defined by my accomplishments. My life is defined by the cross. And so on this journey that I call life, I will follow Him. I will continue to follow Him even when I have questions. But I do so knowing that my life is connected to a destination. And I do so knowing that there is a divine plan and my life is not an accident. It's a part of that plan. And so I want my life to testify to the purpose and glory of God in all things. Pick up your cross and follow deny yourself. Instead, make much of him in everything. Would you be so kind as to stand as we bow our heads together? If there's anything that I may pray with you about, help you with, it's always my joy to be your pastor. Today needs to be your day of salvation. I'll be here at the front. I would love to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. There's anything that I may pray with you about? It's my joy to do so. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you, and we thank you, Lord, that Jesus is not a superficial Messiah who comes just to meet felt needs of comfort and desire, but instead Jesus is a suffering Messiah who comes to meet our real needs. Our need of forgiveness, our need of grace, our need of new life, life that doesn't live 75, 80 years and then fade away, but life that lives forever. And Lord, I realize that in this room there are some questions and there's some difficulty and I never desire to make light of the pain that people feel. But Lord, I do pray that we won't just whine and talk and analyze. But instead, Lord, may we have a faith that lives. And so may we trust you even though we don't have all the answers. May we deny ourselves, pick up our cross each day, and follow you. And in doing so, make much of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.